like returning to this screen because I don't know about you during this pandemic it's been all about going back to all my favorite franchises and kind of re-watching them with 2020 2021 eyes and everything is honestly very different I go back and I watch older movies that I thought I loved and I don't love as much with new eyes and some movies I thought I maybe didn't love as much with new eyes I would kind of have a new appreciation for it I am the I'm kind of the same way, but not really. I mean, the pandemic has got me. I'm definitely revisiting things that I haven't seen in a long time, but I'm mostly doing more films that I haven't seen at all, like not newer films, just old films that are already out. New that to I, you, yeah. yeah, that are new to me, and that's been really nice because I found some really awesome favorites that I've really, really enjoyed. And I'm mad at myself that I didn't like actually go see these movies because um, <laughs> either they were before my time, like before birth, or they were out and I just didn't like it because I didn't like the genre. And now that I'm much older, I've realized that I have an, more of an open palette for films. Like I'll watch anything now. I think yeah. the one thing... The one type of film that still is a little hard to get for me is documentaries, but I'm trying to push myself into those. But uh, I know when I was like in high school and a little kid and even parts of college, I was a one. I was a horrible person. And two, uh, I didn't like romantic comedy. Were we all we were all horrible in high school. We, I mean, come on. <laughs> we, no, I was a horrible person. Like I was a horrible person. I can't if I could go back right now to high school back and cancel myself right now (laughs) oh a hundred percent a hundred and ten percent i would cancel myself i would be instantly canceled the day i set foot in high school i'd be nope canceled Um, (laughs) yeah i used to not like romantic comedies um i was very picky on them now i'm i'm starting i'm finding a bunch that i'm Hi, I'm Evan. I love movies, and you should too. And yeah, we're back again. We're going to keep this train on rolling. I am going to try and not stop because when I stop, it's not fun. I know you guys miss out on episodes because I dropped a random random episode last week, and I already had a decent amount of um, listeners. So I, I guess you guys are cramming for more. We're going to keep the train rolling. And yes, we have another guest. A person that I have been waiting to have on the show for quite a while. They are a huge film fan. Their name? Dylan Mentes. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm all right. It's been a weird week. We're getting through it. And tonight we get to talk about a uh, really cool movie. Yes, a weird movie for a weird year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it surprisingly hits home with even in 2021 and this movie came out in 2000. I know I was watching rewatching it for this podcast and I'm like, this movie might be more relevant now than it was when it was made. I think it was. And it's really weird that that happened. And also it's very odd that it's, I guess, least liked in the series. But we'll get into all that tonight. We're talking about serial killers. Hollywood, Gail Weathers, Sidney Prescott, Dewey Riley. Yeah, we're jumping into another franchise tonight. We are covering Scream 3. trilogies is that in the third one all bets are off hello 
Sydney. Welcome to the final act. So this film came out in February 4th of 2000. Its estimated budget was about $40 million. It was the most expensive Scream budgeted-wise. And its opening weekend, it made almost all of that back. It made about $34.7 million. And it totally grossed about $89 million. And worldwide, it was $161 billion. So it was a hit, but it was still like... It didn't hit with the fans as much as the first two movies did. Dylan, my first question to you tonight is, when did you first see this, or how did you first come into the Scream franchise? Okay, so the Scream franchise, I have a huge love for Scream, obviously. I'm a big fan of the slasher genre and um, Wes Craven movies in general. It's kind of hard to remember the first time I saw Scream, because it just kind of like was part of my upbringing really with all the other slasher films scream three i think i saw that a little bit later i remember going to the video store and don't you miss the video store oh my god like going to the video store and having all of those vhs box covers calling your name like i miss that so much scream three i think i finally picked that up after watching the first and second one a number of times it had to have been around the time it came out. I was probably like 10, 11 years old. And I remember liking it, but it definitely was not my favorite of the three at the time. I do miss just walking through the video store and seeing all the films and all the movies I want to watch mm. and like all the cool box art and some of the really trashy box art. I remember like... Where did you but, go? Were you like a blockbuster queen or a Hollywood video maven? I was a bit of both. I was more Hollywood video maven because there was a Hollywood video that was closer to me than the blockbuster. And also, like, my parents got kind of screwed over on blockbusters, so we kind of stayed away from them. Also, Hollywood video had, like, a better selection, more, like, R-rated films that I could watch. Because when I – I've told this on the podcast multiple times, but when I first started, like, watching movies – like really watching movies i would go rent them from hollywood video and i had a car to do that and i just had been old enough to you know rent r-rated movies so it was really like it really helped me in learning like different types of film and learning about myself as well that's awesome and also blockbuster like when you brought the video home they didn't give you the box art like that's my favorite thing is watching the movie and looking at the box <laughs> You had to get those, like, the terrible, like, white and blue covers, and it's just the <laughs> name of the video on it, and it's, like, printed out wrong sometimes. Think with me for the Scream franchise, just like you, I it was like an indoctrination to horror for me. Like, I wasn't a huge horror fan until basically Scream got me into it. I mean, I do say that Candyman and A Nightmare on Elm Street were, like, the two... Candyman was the first horror movie i can remember seeing that scared the living shit out of me so good and it definitely got me wanting to look into more horror and then when i watched nightmare on elm street as a kid it gave me nightmares <laughs> surprisingly enough another <laughs> west craven movie and how amazing is it that like west craven created like such two huge iconic franchises like that's just amazing that all came from one guy he was incredibly talented, rest in peace. I mean, the films he made, he was he's a horror visionary. And I think if he hadn't passed, we might still be talking about him, like making movies, giving horror like a much needed lift because we don't really have our horror nostalgic icons making films anymore. Wes Craven is gone. George Romero's gone. John Carpenter is doing the music for the new Halloween, but not directing the new Halloween. <laughs> yeah, Carpenter's not making movies anymore. It's just we don't really have those classic horror directors making films anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We do have a bunch of good upcoming filmmakers making horror movies right now, and that's really exciting. For me, Scream 3 was when I saw it. It was my favorite. I don't know why. But it just was my favorite. And it doesn't make any sense because this one is probably the least violent. I mean, it's violent, but it's not as violent as one, two or four. Each one of those one, two and four have 
a standout gore moment. I wouldn't say the Scream franchise is super gory. Each film, except for this one, basically has like a huge standout gore moment. Totally. Like the first one, like immediately comes to mind is like Drew Barrymore's boyfriend out in the the yard, like sautéed. And Drew Barrymore in general, like in the first five minutes of that movie, it's like horrific. They both get gutted and it's gruesome. And then also uh, Rose McGowan's death is pretty brutal Mm -hmm. at the end. And the second film would be, I would think it would be... The cop's death when Ghostface takes over the car when Sydney and her, her college roommate are in the back of the car. Oh, yeah. And he gets the like the pole through his head. And then the fourth one, I think, has the friend of Emma Roberts who gets like ripped apart in her bedroom. Yeah. To me, I don't yeah, I don't need these movies to be like overly gory, but it it, it adds a little bit of um danger and actual danger when you see a little bit of blood happening. And and we can get into why this movie specifically did not really get too bloody, but you know, it makes sense that a scream movie would have some kills and blood. <laughs> we'll just get into it. It's because this film was in production or I believe pre-production right after Columbine. Yeah, right, 1999, right? The movie came out in 2000, but they were probably prepping it in 1999. The studio was apprehensive about the violence and gore in Scream 3 because of the Columbine shooting, but Wes Craven was basically said they really wanted to have, like, no blood or no on-screen violence at all, so everything happened off-screen, and Wes Craven's like, seriously, guys, we're making a Scream movie. If we're going to make something like that, you need to call it something else. This is Scream, and it's going to have certain standards, and I'm totally with them on that. I get – it's totally. a Scream movie. You can't do that. Not, not you with can't be totally reactionary to what's happening in the real world. I mean, I think you can a little bit because it's, like, only smart as you're putting out a movie if you want people to see it. It reminds me a little bit almost of um, – remember when Jim Carrey, he, like, wouldn't promote Kick-Ass 2? because um, Sandy Hook had just happened and he didn't want to depict violence. So I feel like people get very reactionary when uh, world events like that happen. I think it's kind of like, you kind of have to just find your tone with things. I feel like the audience will appreciate it if you're being straight up with them. But like, I also don't think you need to desensitize everything after something like that happens. There are things that you can hold back and then there are things that you can, you can put on screen. I don't think that the holding back of the violence hurt this film a lot, but I think it hurt it a little bit. I think it needed just a little bit more blood and one like one standout gore moment just to like grab the audience. Because for me, even watching this, this used to be like my favorite screen for a while. It was for a few years be my favorite scream. And now I can see why fans and its status is like this is the least favorited scream i think it's because of the gore moments but i also think it's the script this is the mm-hmm. only scream film not written by kevin williamson and i think you can kind of feel that a little bit i think like um i forget who was the new person they they had come on i think their last name was kruger actually yeah just... aaron kruger he, got, he had some of Williamson's notes because he left like an outline for possible sequels. So he kind of like used those notes to kind of make a script of his own or whatever. I think you can kind of tell that there's a slight difference, but I think they, they do a really good job of like trying to keep the spirit of the other two, I think. And it's a lot more funny or trying to be funny and trying to be meta this time around. And it works. Some of it, I definitely think, works really well. And some of it is just so meta on the nose that it it made me think: Were they writing this during filming? And they were <laughs> working on script changes during filming. So, like the, the Jenny McCarthy line, that one line she says, where she's like, "Damn it, are they like changing the script again? Like right before? Like, how are we gonna film this thing? We even having like it felt very much like." Jenny McCarthy was talking about the set of Scream 3, not Stab 3. <laughs> oh, there are a lot of moments in this movie where it feels like they're actually talking about Scream 3 and not Stab 3. And it's, I love that. <laughs> it's so meta. It's super, super meta. And this feels more akin to uh, Wes Craven's new Nightmare than it mm-hmm. does like a Scream, a part of the Scream franchise. That's such a good connection because like, I'm sure most people know that 
New Nightmare um, in 1994 was very much like a predecessor to Craven doing Scream. And it almost like he kind of was testing the waters with Freddy before he really went for that full meta thing with Scream. But like, yeah, this one particularly is connected to that film with like how, um, for instance, the whole Hollywood aspect in New Nightmare, you had characters who were playing like themselves, but like the movie universe was existing within the universe. It's very, Craven was before his time, honestly. Like to do this thing, this type of thing back in the 90s and the year 2000, like I feel like this is like a lot of stuff we see now. I mean, look at like stuff like WandaVision and stuff like that. It's like so meta, but I feel like, Craven gave us as a society and film film goers the tools to kind of like play with that and get used to that idea. Okay, outside. Everyone stay together and try to remain calm. Interior Jennifer's house, living room night, the script page. Oh, what's it say? With the bodyguard stabbed to death, the five stand trapped. He's, he's rewriting the movie. And the killer waits outside. Oh. Suddenly the fax machine sends news to their face. It's a trap! Everybody, outside! Outside where he can pick us off one by one? The killer prepares to grant mercy to only one no, of them. Get it. The killer says he's outside Boy, because he wants us here on. inside. Which one is Come it? on! Ah! Who will survive? Is it Jennifer, Tom, Angelina, Dewey, Gale? The killer will give mercy to? He was definitely on the forefront of the meta film, especially the meta slasher. I mean, you can think about how many slasher films after New Nightmare and then after Scream were meta commentaries on society, meta commentaries on Hollywood or meta commentaries on the slasher genre in general. Like I can think of one movie that came out recently that does it really well. Have you seen The Final Girls? No, but I've seen previews and it looks like a slasher lover's dream because it looks like it just knows all the tropes and plays with it. If you love the slasher genre, definitely I would highly suggest seeking out the final girls. And it's a big ode to like 80 slashers. It's a big ode to Friday the 13th and Jason. It's really good. And it's it's very emotional and it's uh, it's got a good heart and you don't really see that in the slasher genre. And then it also plays out really hilariously. Some of the characters are just written so very well. So it, it's it's a highly recommended. I gotta check that film. out. Yeah. Do you I, know if it's on? Um, is it on any streaming anywhere right now? I think the last time I looked, it was on Showtime service, but I'm not sure if it's still there yeah. or not. Stuff hops around so fast from service to service now; it's hard to keep track. <laughs> yeah, there. Um, usually I see it on just about like except for netflix i've seen it on like every service like tubi had it once i think hulu had it once uh i just looked and yeah showtime has it right now and oh my god like... you're naming like all of my pandemic friends my girl hulu <laughs> tubi netflix <laughs> down the blog like my only friends now <laughs> oh don't worry i've got other i've got other friends that that have been helping me out too like hbo max and criterion and <laughs> shutter i mean they they're such good friends to me <laughs> i love it i love it it's just, this pandemic is is driving can we insane. um do you mind if I bring up the real victim of this movie, which is um, Courtney Cox's hair? <laughs> I knew you were going to bring up Courtney Cox's hair. <laughs> I mean, these bangs, these bangs have become, like, iconic of themselves because every, like, couple months I'll see some fellow gay online bring up the Courtney Cox horrible, horrible bangs in this movie. I don't know if it was... The year 2000 was a very adventurous time for fashion i want to say i mean between the bangs and the ketchup and mustard suit she wears at one point i mean after all these years you just kind of have to love it that's the biggest takeaway i have from screen three is that it turned into like her bangs and her outfits turned into a meme for 2021 and like 2020 <laughs> it's like all of us tried to cut our hair during the pandemic <laughs> People are using bowls when that was a thing back in way back in the day, but you shouldn't be using bowls. They're, they're oh my God. My mother used to do that. I was the mushroom bowl haircut kid. Like, 
trauma. <laughs> I'm sorry. My dad had a barber in the city next to us, so I used to go there, and I, I hated getting my hair cut. I don't know why, because it doesn't hurt, but I hated getting my hair cut. I think it was just me sitting still for, like, mm-hmm. 20 minutes. and It can be anxiety-ridden for a kid, you know? I don't get people cutting their head with bowls today in the pandemic. You can get order clippers from Amazon or Walmart or something and get a tutorial on YouTube. There are plenty of them. Or be like me. I've just been letting it grow out like a wild fern. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Let it be a forest and just make sure that, you know, you, you wash it uh, enough because you, you keep letting it go. It gets wild. Like mine is wild right now. Like I need a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> hair's too long already oh her suit we get to, what's really funny is like you can tell this is a trilogy because they do do some things where they go back to the first and the second film with parker posey's character you get to see all those old suits all those like power suits that she wore yeah, in like the 1996 gal <laughs> yeah because i'm sorry for me gail hair best is is scream 2 I like the short with the like mm-hmm. red dye in, dye job in the middle. I love I love Sydney's short hair in that too. Like so good. For me, I don't like Sydney long hair in the first one. I I don't like it. It looks her long hair looks better in Scream Four. I think I like Sydney three hair. I think I like that. It's like it's in the middle. It's not too long, but it's also not really, really short, even though she's I giving me like Sigourney Weaver vibes. I don't know why. Like, you know, like Linda Hamilton, Sigourney Weaver, like she's ready. I mean, nope. at, at, the, um, at the beginning of this movie, I need that house, that house that Sydney like just went off into the mountains and escaped. the ranch house. It looked like like Skywalker Ranch. Right. Oh, my God. Wow. Yes, exactly. Like, I need I need to be there. I need to be there with that beautiful dog. It just needs to happen. I just want to live there because I'm secluded from everything else. As long as I have Internet and cable, I would live way out there. So it would be nice for a while. I mean, I would want it as like a cabin house. I couldn't couldn't live live there because I've lived in the Midwest before. And when you have to, you know, drive 45 minutes to reach a Walmart or a movie theater, it hurts you really bad right <laughs> don't forget anything and don't make sure you go pee before you go <laughs> exactly oh man it was it was even worse because i had to drive an hour to work and an hour back so yeah it's it's not fun at all but speaking of linda hamilton you brought me into something that i have notes about because in in an interview the writer kruger because he hadn't been involved with really the scream franchise this was like his first he was jumping onto the script he had been hired by the studio and he was first time working with Wes and the cast early scripts for three scream three actually had sydney as like a linda hamilton t2 character so she was more action oriented which i think still holds up a bit during the finale of the film because rewatching the end the fight she has with her brother is pretty brutal and borderline like straight up out of an action movie mm-hmm. like less slasher more like suspense and action doesn't feel like a, something that would happen in a slasher movie i mean she is chased around a lot but when when they have the big reveal and you find out that roman's her brother and they get into a fight it's like a brutal like a fight that would you would see in like a van damme or a stallone movie mm-hmm. not a fight that you would see in scream three so also with that, it also takes this film and it kind of separates it because I really do think even though it's a part of the trilogy or a part of the now four films, soon to be five, it definitely when it came out, it definitely stood differently than the first two. The first two feel very tied together where this one feels partly tied together, but not. It's like I don't even know how to explain it from when they mention like. When Randy mentions like a trilogy, I usually think when I think of trilogies, I think of first three Star Wars, like the Matrix movies. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Of, well, one thing I wanted to say, too, is like when Scream 3 came out, I've grown to love it more because when we thought this was the end of a trilogy, that's when I didn't really love this movie that much. Because I was like, that's that's the end of it. Like, that's supposed to be like the wrap up, you know, like the, that's the story. 
But now that we're getting four and five, it makes me like this a lot better because I'm like, oh, well, that was just like, you know, the fun Hollywood chapter, you know, like, like Jason goes to Manhattan, Scream went to Hollywood. So like, if it, that was gonna be like the cap off of like the whole thing, I was not wicked happy with this movie, but I've grown to love it a little bit more because it's, you know, just like that little romp in Hollywood we had. Fine, you got what you wanted. Hero and villain face to face. Well, you know what happens now? The villain dies. Exactly. But I'm not the villain, Sid. You are. Here he is. The man who gave away your mother's innocence. Huh? What he did to her made her a slut, didn't it? Huh? She never recovered from that night right here in this room. They fucked her three ways from Sunday. Ruined her life. Ruined yours too, didn't it, Sid? Do you hate him, Sid? Come on, I know you do. I'm sure you do. I know who you are. I know what happened to my mother, and I want you to understand. I'm going to make you pay. That's what the police are going to find in Milton's answering machine, right next to his lifeless, mutilated corpse. What? Can't hear you. You don't have to do this, Roman. Just tell me what you want. I can make it happen. Any picture, name your budget, script approval, final cut. I already have it. No, Sid, that would be you. You did it all. You did it. You killed them all, even your closest friends. Living in total isolation, the pressure of another movie about you, the discovery that Milton destroyed Mommy Dearest, you finally just snapped! I'm not sure if I like it more, but I like it for the fact that we have other ones after it. Because if we didn't have other ones after it, I'd kind of be like, well, that's the end, really? Can we do like something almost, differently? Not quite, but I almost kind of thought at the time that maybe the franchise kind of jumped the shark a little bit with the whole like meta, meta, meta-ness of it all. But now that we've had more, I just, I don't feel that way so much anymore. I think it's, I actually, I give Craven a lot of credit for clearly the constraints that were put on this film because of Columbine and um, a lot of the rewrites happening so quickly. I give him a lot of credit for at least really being committed to the whole idea of it and just going for it. Because the worst that could happen is that they try to do this and it's like a half-assed attempt at going Hollywood. Like he went in on the whole concept of it, I think. He goes in for the trilogy. He hits all trilogy aspects. You find out something huge that actually affected the entire series, just like you do in Return of the Jedi. You have. Oh, wow. That's so true. There's a big revelation. He like they went in on this is the third film. This could be the last film. So we're just going to go all in on it. And I really like that uh, aspect of it. I was speaking of the fight at the end and I was just looking at my notes. They actually. That was part of the uh, the uh, reshoot. They actually made the fight longer because the I guess the original ending had Sydney taking out Roman pretty easily. So they actually redid the reshot the ending where they had you know that fight and Kincaid Patrick Dempsey's character shows up again and then uh, Dewey shoots him like four or five times. So that was actually part of the reshoot. So I think that's good. Sometimes I know people are get uppity about reshoots but sometimes reshoots are good for the movie and sometimes mm-hmm. they're needed almost all of the movies that you love watching that like you listener probably had reshoots done to it like most movies have some sort of reshoots going on and you know like if some movies get it in the can the first time perfect that's cool but like that's very hard to do it really is like I can't think of a movie that lately that hasn't had reshoots like everybody has almost every film that comes out that you enjoyed. Yeah, it ha- has also back in the day, we didn't have movie news so much like we do today. Like back in the day, you wouldn't have heard if, you know, like, oh, Empire Strikes Back just had like a horrible, horrible time and they had to do all these reshoots like we wouldn't know. We would just see the movie and be like, yay. <laughs> exactly, because things happen like on film sets. People get injured, sets burn down, like mm-hmm. things new news in the world happens. You gotta change up the script. Like things happen where you have to reshoot, and it's not always a bad thing. Like I yeah. I think the negative negative connectivity with reshoots needs to go away because sometimes they do help and sometimes they improve the movie. I mean, and sometimes they don't 
I mean, but we don't always get to see the footage of when they don't. You don't always get all the deleted scenes. We'll get a few deleted yeah. scenes, but not all of them. And I don't even Unless think... you're Zack Snyder. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're Zack Snyder and you get to, you know, do your entire, almost your entire movie again because somebody fucked it up absolutely royally. <laughs> even though that's I... Like that, that's a whole podcast of itself. We should do, like, a Snyder cut. Like, oh, just not, not even a review about the Snyder Cut, but just a review about the history of the production of Snyder Cut. <laughs> I, think I did. I actually have an episode where I did a small history of the Snyder Cut when it was first announced. It's, oh, one, of the early, it's one of the early episodes of the show. I don't know if I want to really jump into the Snyder Cut because the discourse around the Snyder Cut is just it's. Oh, God. Yeah, it that's the exact word. It's exhausting. And I really I don't know if I could devote a whole episode to just talking about it because I'm really excited to see it. I'm a fan of Zack Snyder. Superman's my favorite superhero. I love DC. I'm excited to see this movie. Is it going to be good? Probably not. Really, I think it'll be better than what we saw in 2017, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I think it's going to be better. And it's double the runtime, too, because that movie was barely two hours. And this movie is four hours and two minutes. And it's coming in like two weeks. I'm excited. Okay. I'm excited for a lot of this HBO Max content, even though I'm kind of, um, well, sorry, I'll actually... I'm about to get into stuff that has nothing to do with Scream Three, so I'll just I'll. I'll That's that fine. We time, we <laughs> we jump off the rails. We we jump off the rails on the show all the time. Go ahead. It, it might. Oh, I'll just say now. Now, um, a lot of the people that I had been very worried about with the virus in my life and stuff, they've been getting the vaccine, and I obviously hope to get the vaccine. You know, sometime like you know maybe before the summer, whenever people in my group are able to but um, i'm really more and more comfortable getting back in the theater i just wouldn't necessarily go like like day of you know like like king kong versus godzilla i just i'm such a big fan that i'm like i need to see that in the theater but i'm probably gonna go like a week or two after on like a weekday see who how many people have bought tickets like that that day kind of online and kind of play it safe that way but I think I'm getting more to a place. I don't think, I think that eventually the theater will come back. I've been saying it on the podcast for a while that the theater is going to come back. It's not going to die. It always, everybody thinks it's going to die. There are multiple things in the world that make it happen where it looks like it's going to die, but it's not going to die. Like we're not, we're, I'm not saying never, but it's going to be a very long time before we never have a movie theater to go to like mm-hmm. it's an industry it's a business it's gonna thr- it's gonna thrive it'll come back once the pandemic is officially over or we're better off most of the world has the vaccine and they're prepping new vaccines and the vaccine is in people and those people are going out so the virus is hitting them the virus is like hitting them mm-hmm. and not and I'm dying. about you for the first time in a long while I feel just a teeny tiny bit hopeful that like you know maybe before the end of the year we could all be in not in the normalcy that we were before all of this but you know maybe we'll go we'll get to see a marvel movie together (laughs) i'm hoping by the end of the year we can hug people again right that might be tough but like i think like right when you say that i'm just it's so bad i'm like trained to be like oh my god no it's like, but no, it wouldn't be that bad. I feel like I wouldn't be hugging random people anymore for a while, but I would hug anybody I'm friends with sort of thing. Like, cause like, it's like hard. It's honestly, I found that really hard this past year of like, you know, you run into situations where you're like, what do I think of this? Like, what is my opinion? Like, what is my boundary or my line of like where I, cause I, you know what I mean? Cause we all have been are in such different we're all i think allowed to have different boundaries and different like kind of lines as far as like health pandemic goes but sometimes i'll run into the situation i'm like oh i don't know what i even think about this what is right what's wrong what's too you know what should i be more trepidatious of it's that's exhausting too it's just this whole past year having all that stuff whirling around in your mind when you're just like getting groceries That can give you anxiety. Just thinking of just you going on about that started giving me anxiety. I know. About I, it. Was, I, was, I was like, I just stopped something. I'm just like creating a storm right now. <laughs> it's good podcast content. That's what we have here, and we want to talk about things that are relevant in the world because this. That's what. That's why I did this podcast for not just movies, totally. but just just to have awesome, you know, people on who are. I think I'm pretty sure. 
95% of my guests on the podcast have been queer and I did that by accident. I didn't mean to do that on purpose, but it's I'm very happy. Accident. I know it's the best accident ever. It makes me happy. And people that I have coming up uh, soon that I'm trying to get on the show are also queer. So it's like, I have a queer outlet. Let's awesome. enjoy it. Watching this in um, 2021, it is totally the shadow of me too is all over this film. And it's like, Honestly, the movie is forever changed. And I know growing up watching this movie, I did not watch. I mean, I was also a kid, so I wouldn't know a lot of the context. But it's really interesting to me that this film brings up, I mean, to be honest, the whole thing of the concept of the casting couch and all of that, I think I might have learned that from this movie, which is really messed up because who is the producer of this movie? (laughs) It was the Weinsteins. The Weinsteins. It is just very painfully ironic and that's what we were alluding at early in the early in the episode that this is a movie that came out in 2000 is deathly relevant in 2021 21 years later still extremely relevant because of everything that's happened with the me too and weinsteins and it's scary how on the nose it is like um, Wes Craven actually did an interview and he he wanted to make sure that Hendrix's character wasn't portrayed as like a villain. Like he actually is a villain, but he didn't want to be portrayed as a villain. He wanted there to be a catalyst for the villain's motives and mm-hmm. that he was really it was a spark for the events that happened and the events that happened in the film series. And I get that, too. And he also Hendrix's character is basically the one who causes kind of causes all of this which causes all of this if you can say it that way i totally i can see how that because like that's also a thing that like i'm not sure i'm totally on board with is the whole we'll get into like ronan uh, roman like kind of being like you know whispering in billy loomis's ear about the whole thing and i think that, I'm, I'm not sure i like love that but i love the origin of i don't love it but i find it interesting that Sid's mom having this past in Hollywood. I almost, especially because of, you know, stuff today, I kind of wish the movie leaned into that more because I feel like they kind of brought it out. But the movie, like, I feel like if you're going to talk about that, you kind of have to have the movie be more about that a little tiny bit. I think it's because of the the way the film, or not the way, but when the film was coming out, um, because they were, the studio and the filmmakers were dealing with such aspects about violence i don't think they could have gone any deeper mm-hmm. because of that i'm surprised but... i'm surprised it's it's crazy to me when you think about the making of this film it's like who knew what did weinstein watch this and not think oh this is kind of like weird or is it is it the writer or west craven maybe even being like kind of aware of the i mean they had to have had some sort of awareness of the environment of hollywood and the industry and maybe even weinstein himself and maybe this was kind of the only way they could like maybe bring it up i don't i don't know it's it's very interesting because who knows who knew what and it's just incredible that the person who like i think weinstein's a bigger monster than the guy in the movie almost and that he would be like, oh, yeah, let's make a movie about it and I'll get a bunch of money off of it. It's it's very scary with it itself. It's maybe the scariest thing in the franchise. I don't think Weinstein ever thought he was going to get caught or anyone was going to come out against him. I really thought yep. he, he really thought that he had so much power in Hollywood that no one would ever come after him. And. The arrogance is crazy. It shows a lot of privilege and arrogance to put out a movie like that when it's basically almost about you. (laughs) And ego. And definitely because Hendrickson's character isn't as bad as Weinstein. Like, he just threw the parties, which still, even though that's still bad. No need. There was no need ever for a casting couch. And just the thought of it in my head makes me want to vomit. You should just be a decent human being. Cast Mm -hmm. people. You don't, and you, you don't know people can be favors. really mad that like you know people can call it cancel culture they can call it whatever they want i think that this is the only time people are truly starting to feel a little bit more comfortable to actually speak out against this stuff and i still think we're not there i think we have not heard the end of me too and 
all the stories. I think that there is also a child abuse scandal that is like literally like gonna be the new Me Too. I feel like that is only waiting to truly be exposed because we've heard plenty of stories through multiple child actors throughout the decades about that stuff. And you know, it's like every, every not even just Hollywood, every industry, every business has abuse. And I feel like every industry right now is kind of re-examining what is okay and what we're not going to put up with anymore. I'm with you on that, that this isn't over with. Me Too is going to keep going for a very, very long time. And I definitely think that there is, I think there's at least one or two huge bombshell type scandals that are coming that just people haven't had the chance to open up about it because they're scared mm-hmm. for their life or they're Even scared about their job. Even though it's probably in front of all of our faces. And it seems to me it's going to be about someone, the someone's actually that we all know very well we're maybe huge fans of and there i really think it's probably gonna be because it seems lately it's gonna happen in nerd culture because that mm-hmm. seems to be what's happening lately i mean i won't speak his name but the dude that happened to maybe you know sometimes worked on buffy and but i still think oh, that yeah. i'm there's all that information about him. And Let's then, just be clear to your listeners, too. We're not talking about QAnon pizza parlor shit. We're talking about, like, actual, like, abuse that could be happening. We're not talking about, like, you know, like, Oprah and Tom Hanks have, like, a child sex ring in a basement. Like, I don't think it's them. I think it's, like, other... I think there's no, other people to look at. <laughs> yeah, I no, we're definitely thinking about... We're definitely talking about and thinking about people that we just don't expect it to be. And then it comes out, not people that you, we probably know are very good people. Like, I, I was talking about Tom Hanks last night. Like, he is degraded. He may be one of the greatest humans to ever live. And if something ever bad came out with him, I think, I I, I don't know if we could, as a society, hold up to that. It just, right. it, it can't be. Like, he is I mean, I would totally, like, I'm like people about like especially with all of the rumors about that sort of thing like which i just find like so ridiculous with tom cruise and i mean tom hanks and oprah and stuff i'm like because oprah oprah like raised me i'm like you know if like actual actual stuff comes out about oprah i'm i you know i like to critique my faves you know because it's like you got to critique your faves to stay in line you know because your faves can do problematic shit as well you know, like, I would totally be like, you know what? Yes, I'm done with Oprah. But I just I just don't see it happening. But, you know, if, if it did come out and it was, like, legit, I wouldn't say it. I just think the theories these days are really crazy compared to maybe stuff we should actually be worrying about and, like, looking at. Yeah, more people are really worried about the theories and actually looking into what, what actually happens in the real world. And, and I get it because of it's the pandemic and you need news i guess and you can't really go out to find new news it's got to come to you so i get it but still like we should be looking at what actually happens and not promoting or just speculating about what we think might have happened like Mm -hmm. look at facts first read the article before you share it (laughs) (laughs) exactly I mean, read, I'm guilty of that, it. too. Sometimes I can be so guilty of seeing an article on Facebook and being like, I agree, and reposting it. But, you know, you, you got to read the stuff you're sharing and look up what you're looking at and stuff. I was I had a question, too, about the whole while we're talking about Maureen. What did you think about Sid's like premonitions and like kind of like seeing the ghost of her mom? Because when I was younger, I remember thinking, oh, this is, like, kind of hokey. Because I don't think they did that in, like, the first or second movie. Like, having, like, you know, you know, a ghost or something. Like, kind of like that. Like, a uh, premonition. But now that I, I watched it today, and I'm just a little bit older, I'm like, I love this. Because it's kind of, like, almost goes to, like, what um, Halloween 2018 was doing a little bit. With the whole being um, a survivor of trauma. And I, I saw that a lot in Sydney's character in this movie. And I really appreciate, like what happens after you go through something traumatic and what kind of, especially with like parent stuff, like the way that your parents can haunt you as you're an older person, it gets very cliche real quick, but it's it's real. I thought it was really good to show her having PTSD and just a trauma experience because it hadn't really been done much in Scream 2. It was more, it was done better here in Scream 3. And honestly, because it was Wes, I was thinking watching today, I would have liked it. I know it would have been a bit hokey, 
But I kind of would have liked it if he went more nightmare with her premonitions and her dreams. Just that there were to show that she's really being haunted by her past. Show this like dream, maybe a one dream sequence and make it very night mm-hmm. nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, maybe have like a dream sequence where like. I'm just like imagining what if they had like a dream sequence where like Sydney was like in her mother's place and you know how they have like those in movies sometimes where she's like you kind of like go into that you like see the past through that person's eyes sort of thing that and it, like turn into a nightmare that would be kind of cool yeah that's exactly what I was thinking and I thought that would be really really cool <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah oh no but yeah I that would have been really cool if we could have just one just one dream sequence and make it very like nightmare on elm street where she's maybe she's being haunted by a ghost face and the, their, her, mm. the death of her mother and the murder of her mother and just have her you know play it out like it's very nightmare on elm street that would have been really oh cool i would love that. that and that would have been so memorable like such a, remember that one like weird dream sequence like it could have been like a dream sequence where she just keeps on taking off ghost face masks but it's like a different person every time or something like oh yeah that'd be that would oh that'd be really cool because she kept she keeps taking off the mask and eventually she gets to her and maybe she thinks that she caused all of this and that she's the problem or something like that and and then she gets stabbed and wakes up Um, it would have been it would have been awesome i think that would have been very exciting we need to play um, our own scream right now. <laughs> I would love to, but we're getting one in January, which I'm oh, super stoked for. Same. Did you see the, the guys that are directing it? I'm very excited for the Radio Silence directing it. They are probably, like, they're up there in my, like, favorite new horror directors. Ready uh, or Not was, was so, so good. Made me very excited that they're doing Scream. It was it came out I think Ready or Not came out in 2018 and I could already consider it a cult classic like it's so popular that I would already consider it a cult classic and that's why I'm so excited for Scream 5 which I'm calling it Scream 5 I don't care if people want right. to just like, call they say it's just Scream, scream but like it should have been 5 Cream or whatever you know <laughs> like like I was ready for 5 Cream Yeah or they could have like put it like done like like 7 had scream in the had the five in the middle somewhere, mm-hmm. like make the make the e the five and have it. I like, mean, we're scream. we're all gonna call it scream five, but oh, that, yeah. it were it kind of says to me a little bit though, and I'm kind of prepping myself the fact that it's called scream, and we've lived in this age of Jurassic Worlds and Force Awakens of soft reboot quals. I have a feeling that it's gonna be a lot like the first scream and kind of like the Force Awakens of the scream franchise, kind of. I have a feeling I I'm agreeing with your feeling, but I have hopes that they're not doing a soft reboot just because of how many people are coming back from Scream Four. I think. Ooh, okay. I didn't yeah, know I've seen the cast on um, other than the, like the main cast. You know, Sydney, Dewey, and Gail were also getting. I think the her actress name is Marley Shelton. She's the she's Dewey's like assistant that has a crush on Dewey and four. She's oh, coming yeah. back. She's like coming her. back. I thought I thought she was the killer in four for, until like the end of the movie. <laughs> so did I until yeah. she got until she got shot. I'm like, yeah, she's the killer. And then I'm like, Ooh, OK, she's not the killer anymore. That's a good thing to bring up. I wrote that down. I love Scream 3 because um, I was remembering during this rewatch who I used to think was the killer when I first watched it because like they give you so many moments in these in this movie where like someone will give like a lingering look or they'll say something a certain way and you're like is it you is this Scooby Doo and the Ghost of Me too like <laughs> there are very there's so many red herrings in this movie that you could you could really almost pick just about anyone even Sid could be the killer. I loved that. I loved that the movie was kind of like, you know, with the way that these killings are going down, it kind of looks like Sid lost it. Yeah, it's Deputy Judy Hicks from the fourth one. She's coming back. So you've got her, Gail, Sydney, and Dewey, I believe, are the only returning cast members for because everybody else is dead. (laughs) But we don't we don't know that because I'm looking on IMDb right now and they only have a small cast list and. There could be others. We might not. We might get cameos. Like I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. hoping because I have a shirt for her. I'm really hoping somehow, some way, Kirby didn't die. 
Oh, okay. I, I love Kirby that. from Scream 4, and I want hate her it, back. Hate it, yeah. Yes, I really loved her, and I loved her haircut. <laughs> I love her haircut. I love her in that movie. She's one of my favorite characters in the entire yeah. Scream series. I have a shirt that says Kirby lives on it. Like, I'm going to be... Yay! I love we're that. Gonna, if, you know, pandemic is closer to being over, and in January we can go to a theater, I'm wearing that shirt to go see Scream 5 because oh I'm so god, excited. Oh my god, I would love that. I also like love, I didn't know there was such Kirby love like in the masses. I love that because I, I love, I think that whole movie is so good with her. Like when she's naming like all the movies on the on like the, her cell phone, she's like, Friday the 13th, da 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 da, like. That's actually, that the front has like a drawing of her and the, she's surrounded by Ghostface, but on the back of the shirt, it actually has what Ghostface asked her and then all the movies she lists in oh, that, awesome. And that uh, bit of dialogue. So, yeah, I'm hoping I'm crossing my fingers that they bring Kirby back because I love I love Kirby. And this viewing of Scream 3 made me realize how much I love Scream 4. <laughs> like, <laughs> I do. I do like Scream 4 better than Scream 3. I will admit this photo was taken at the studio. Her name is Maureen Prescott. Back then it was probably Roberts. Hey, are you? No. But you look just... Like her? I've been hearing it all my life. It's uncanny. I was up for Princess Leia. I was this close. So who gets it? The one who sleeps with George Lucas. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bring up a a sore subject for you. Sure you didn't. None of them did. So how can I help you? Or do you want me to tell you who you look like? (laughs) How about some information on Maureen Roberts? I don't work for the cops, sweetie. I work for the studio. Really? Well... Would you work for the president? The president of the studio. If you had to put them in order of, I'm not going to say best, but in order of favorites, what is Ooh. your for this series? That is so hard because I remember growing up, for some reason, Scream 2, I was like obsessed with, like loved it like more than any of the other ones. But now, if I'm being wicked honest, it probably goes. Because I rewatched all of them last year with my friends. We watched, I think it goes Scream, Scream 4, Scream 2, Scream 3. Yeah, I think mine, after watching Scream 3 today, I think mine is this exact same. Because I used to, when I saw Scream 2, I really was upset at Scream 2. And it was for the, it's a good movie. I really like the ending. It was for the dumbest reason I was mad at Scream 2. And it's also the reason why I can't watch I Know What You Did Last Summer. They kill SMG. I can't stand a horror movie where they kill SMG. She's Buffy. Oh, She's Buffy. oh my God. At first I was like, who? <laughs> oh my God. Buffy. I love Scream 2 because they had so much random 90s people like that in the movie. Like, Oh my God. Scream 2 has got so many cameos in it. There's uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar. You have, isn't Rebecca, is Rebecca Gayhart in it? I'm not sure. I actually. think she is. I know Heather Heather Graham's in it. You got Jada Pinkett Smith, Omar Epps. Omar Epps, yeah. And then uh, Timothy Oliphant is one of the killers. Joshua Jackson's in it. Like Scream Two has got a a yeah. great cast. And then Scream Three because it's in Hollywood has some of the most random cameos in their franchise probably. But I think it has the single best cameo in the entire franchise. Let me guess. Let me guess. Is it Carrie Fisher? It's Queen Carrie. Yes. <laughs> Space mom. Oh, my God. Queen is and, the best um, cameo. In her notes, I believe it says that she even got to, um, you know, rewrite some of her her lines a little bit because, you know, they were probably going through that script really quickly. And Carrie is one of the best writers out there. So it only makes sense. Her whole lines of dialogue were, I think she wrote herself i entirely think her every line that she utters in this film she wrote it herself because that whole mm-hmm. diatribe she goes on talking about how she looks like and carrie how she looks like carrie fisher but she didn't <laughs> sleep with the director that is that is something that carrie would write right <laughs> it's, it's very much like her sense of humor i love watching old like award shows clips of Carrie Fisher like embarrassing George Lucas with these jokes it's so funny she was the best she 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 was miss her she was the best oh she was the best like 
it hurts so bad. Carrie is one of the most talented like humans we've ever had, and it, it sucks. Really sucks. It's funny that we mentioned her because they actually offered a scream cream the role as that role, and she turned it down. Like Jamie Lee Curtis was offered that role, and she didn't want to do it. Ooh, okay. I'm not sure if this was before or after H2O. I think it was. It was um, in between H2O and Resurrection. Okay. So, yeah. So, she probably was. She might have been, you know, scream cleaned out. Yet, mm-hmm. about 18 years later, she comes back for Halloween. Which <laughs> it would have been about. really cool to see her, like, in um, in the franchise. Even just, like, a little tiny bit. Especially if she had, like, a scene with Sid. Because I, like, obviously, like. It's it's almost like how is Nev Campbell not Jamie Lee Curtis's daughter because like Psycho like Janet Lee is like the original horror queen and scream queen and then it got Jamie Lee Curtis in '78 and Halloween and then '96 with Sydney Prescott I feel like there is such a lineage of scream queens. There's multiple arguments going on the internet right now in every place like who's the greatest scream scream queen you could go it's back like, and forth. It's the guy from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> Mark Mark Patton? Yeah. Yeah, okay. there's a really good documentary about that whole thing, too. But, um, people should check that out on Shudder. Isn't it called Scream Queen? Yep. I want to see. Really I haven't good. watched it yet. I've been dying to. I was waiting for Shudder to get it, and then I got it, and I haven't gotten around to it. But yeah. I'm Anybody, I'm sure... It. I'm sure a lot of your your listeners have Shutter, but if anybody doesn't have Shutter and you love horror, I believe it's like a five dollar app and it gives you so much content. There is like a four hour documentary based on eighties horror movies alone. It's, it's really, really good and a good investment. Yeah, I haven't watched that documentary either. I need to get around to watching it. I'm actually I might wait because there's a is it, that's the uh, like into darkness. Yeah, uh, In Search of Darkness. Yeah. yeah, In Search of Darkness. There's a second one coming out where they do more horror and sci-fi. I might wait until that one shows up on Shudder and then take a whole day off and try and go eight hours. Yeah, or like, you should do it because everybody says after you get the second vaccine shot, you feel like crap. So like when you get your second vaccine shot, set yourself up with some good snacks, put on that documentary, you'll be good. I, I think that might be the idea that I have, definitely, because I really want to <laughs> I really wanted to see it. I was I was upset because I didn't have the money. If like right now, if they were doing that and I had the money, I could have like donated to them because it, I I saw the tears. If you donated, you could be like an associate producer. If you yeah. had enough money, you could put be an executive producer. I'm like, that would have been awesome. But no, I didn't have it. I'm going to wait. I, ho- but, I yeah. hope they keep on making different documentaries. They're doing an 80s one again. And there's also people who are like them that do a sci-fi one. But I kind of want them to just keep on making them. Like, I would love if they went in, like, on a, you know, 90s horror or, you know, stuff like that. That'd be kind of cool. You can probably maybe combine 90s and 2000s. And so, like, because I feel like that's not as juicy as 80s. But still, some, 90s horror sometimes gets a bad rap. Sometimes because the 80s was so iconic. Sometimes, like, oh, the 90s didn't have much until Scream came along. But, like, there's a lot of good stuff in the 90s as well. Yeah, there's a lot of great 90s horror movies before Scream. I mean... I'll I'll say it again. Candyman. Yeah. (laughs) Candyman is it came out before Scream. Like there's so many good horror movies that did come out, and then Scream just was such so iconic and so huge and such a big box office hit that it just it took over like the horror world for a while. We we get those every so often. We get those iconic horror movies. I don't like Get Out. I feel like Get Out really came along and kind of retooled everybody's what everybody's doing. You know. I was about to ask, I'm like, have we had one lately? I'm like, oh, yeah, get out. Duh. Yeah. Definitely get out is would be the one late as of late that is just took everything and turned it on its head. And now more people are doing smarter, more politically driven yeah. horror, even though you see a, horror... lot more, a lot more black actors and actresses getting into horror now. I mean, like, look, they're doing the new Saw. It was supposed to come out last year, but they're doing that new Saw movie. Um, it's going to star Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson. It's very exciting. They also yeah. have a documentary on Shudder called um, Horror Noir, which is like black history in the horror genre. And especially how at first, like, honestly, black people and artists and writers were not appreciated enough within the genre, but they still made their own stuff. And like now you really see it all coming together with like Get Out and everything. And it's like a really awesome journey through the decades. 
That's a great, I've seen that documentary when it went up. I was like, instantly, I need to watch this. And I love that documentary. And yes, uh, uh, listeners, if you haven't, if you have Shudder, definitely check out a horror noir. You're not, you do not want to miss on this excellent documentary about black history in the horror films, black history in general, creators, actors. We're giving you, we're giving you some homework on this podcast. (laughs) Oh, I'm always giving them homework because most of the time we're covering movies that no one has, they have have never seen before. So I'm like, well, you're going to have to go watch this movie first before you can listen to us. So you might want to go do your homework and then come back and listen to us. See, once you do your homework, you get the treat of coming and listening to the podcast. So I wanted to say that um, just like going like I have a couple like random things I noticed I jotted down during this last viewing. The trio really is the heart of the franchise. And without the trio, I don't know if I want screen movies anymore. I think that they, Sydney, Dewey and Gail are the Luke, Leia and Han of Scream. And, you know, it's just it's something to say when you go through trauma with people and stuff like that, it creates life-lasting bonds you know and i feel like especially in scream 3 you really see how much that because they even though they haven't really seen each other in a while they've all been through that together and they pick up right where they were before and they clearly love each other on different levels you know your analysis is perfect on that and i don't i'm with you i don't want to see a scream film without the three of them and also um you can't kill them off i don't care what you do do not kill them off don't kill any of the three of them <laughs> off they have to make it out you can injure them to like right. death's door do not you can try kill to them. trick us too you know try to trick yeah. us like they have a billion times like it's fine just like don't really do it <laughs> because i really thought in which one was it was four i thought they were gonna kill gail i really thought they were gonna kill gail mm-hmm. i'm like you better fucking not i mean gail. i think i think they learned from killing off randy in the second one that fans were like wait like there's certain people in this franchise that we want to keep so it was interesting too we should point out that they brought back randy for this third one through the the vhs that his sister brings and i, I thought his sister was the killer too when she walked away she gave that long-lasting look, and I was like, ooh, watch her. But <laughs> it was uh, really awesome to see how they got, what's his name, Jason Kennedy? Yeah, Jamie Kennedy. Jamie Kennedy um, got him back for a moment to give us the rules for the trilogy, you know? Like, I almost kind of expected him to see with the fourth one to, you know, discuss the reboot rules, but... We don't need Randy in the fourth one. We have Kirby. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot that Kirby was the new Randy. Look at that. I love that. Yep. So I'm I'm sure we're gonna we're probably gonna get a character if Kirby doesn't come back for the fifth one. We'll probably get a character that like that, but it would be really nice. I, I'm gonna like, say it again. That character is Reddit. Reddit just in the background. It's like well, yep. Reddit says these are the rules. So. Yeah, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a. And I've looked at the cast, like the male cast. We're gonna, there's definitely gonna be a Reddit dude in here. <laughs> so where can the listeners find you? Well, you can find me on most social media, um, you know, all of the apps out there at, at Dylan Mentis, D-Y-L-A-N. I don't do that D-I-L-L-O-N mess, you know. I mean, if you do, that's cool, but it ain't me. Also, just throwing it out there that if you guys happen to be into Bravo, Real Housewives, you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Bravo Them. Excellent. Do follow them because they are reaching out into the queer community and just putting out some fantastic content. And they are one to you, you should follow. Definitely. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. This is my first ever podcast. And it was a breeze. I could talk about this stuff with you all day. I'm so glad to have you on. I'm happy that we could break your podcast, Cherry. And hey. yeah, we will definitely have to uh, speak about more horror movies because this has been a lot of fun. And I think we got real deep on this. And I like that. I like going off the rails into more serious tone, even though sometimes we're just being goofy here talking about movies because we're, we're all nerds. Totally. I love it. And we should definitely like, you know, if you ever want to do Scream 4, see Scream 5, let let a girl know. Let a girl know. I will definitely let you know. I think the Scream 4 one, I may try and do multiple, see if I can get multiple people on for Scream 4. Because I feel like it's a movie, there's a few people I've talked to that want to talk about it. I'd love to have like a group community chat about Scream 4. So I'll work on that one. And you all know, listeners, you know, you can find me, Johnny Freak. You know how to spell it. I'm not spelling it for you anymore. I'm on the Instagrams, the Twitters, 
you can find my Facebook if you want to, but please don't. I don't really like going on Facebook, but I'm on Letterboxd, <laughs> and you can see what I'm watching because I'm usually watching something every day or multiple somethings every day. And, you know, look for the show. It's I Love Movies. You should, too. It's on Facebook now. Yes, we have Facebook. We're on Instagram and Twitter a lot. You can find us streaming on Anchor, our home. Thank you, Anchor. We're on Spotify. Give us a follow. And we're on Apple Podcasts. Just want to let you guys know. I'm Evan. We love movies. You should, too. See you next episode. Stay spooky. How is the music? Can you hear it loudly? The music? I don't hear anything. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, because I can hear it. They're, they're playing. Like, my neighbors are... Ugh, I hate anything my Anything good? No, it's Coldplay.